towards the darkness. Nah, nah, yo, look towards the light. Yo, what, oh, what the? Yo, what is that? It's a supernova. Nah, nah, man, that's a black hole. Yo, 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 it's, 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 it's. The next movement. Who are you? I'm me. I'm Rob. Here we are. Oh, it's are we doing it That's fine. No, that's good. Okay. I feel like we should always do a drum roll whenever we introduce the album that we're talking about, but we won't. So, I'll just say that we're talking about Jeru the, the Damager. The sun rises in the east. Jeru the Damager. Why did you pick this album? This is your choice. Uh, that's a good question. Here's my very complicated answer. Give it. When I was uh, growing up, Nobody I knew was feeling this record. Nobody I knew was feeling this album. Why? I don't know, but I personally, I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Nobody I knew even liked, but like, was really feeling Come Clean, which was always confusing to me. Oh, yeah, that's a little weird. Like, I, I don't get that. I mean, you grew up on the East Coast, so what Like, what about Jeru the Damaja weren't they feeling? I think a lot of people that I was spending time with were much more into the like poppy dancey shiny stuff that that bad boy was like starting to do at that Mm. time not that i dislike that stuff but like people i uh, people i hung out with my friends at the time loved that whole like r&b chorus yeah those hooks yeah yeah i feel it so there's that but then there's also so that's one reason why I wanted to talk about it because I wanted to. I wanted to try and give it its due respect. Okay. I've always loved the album. Okay. The other reason is because one of the reasons I love the album is DJ Premier, and I think the production on this album is some of his best work. I but, agree with that. And it's it feels like it's uh, often like sometimes heralded as a classic, but also overlooked somehow at the same time. Yeah, I think it's underrated. I mean, simply because of the the beats are some of his best. I mean, Ain't the Devil Happy, that's probably like in my top five DJ Premier beats. Like, that beat is fucking sick. Um, but I don't think the album's talked about enough. Which is somewhat understandable. It was released in 94. Okay. I mean... In 1994, yeah. you have Illmatic and Ready to Die, which were huge iconic, legendary, genre-defining. More Primo, too. More Primo, yes. Those are huge records, and they get talked about all the time. All the time. For good reason. Yeah. But it's easy to overlook, I think. Be- because of those records, it's easy to overlook yes. Sunrises in the East. Yes, I agree. So I, I literally had this discussion earlier tonight. I was like out with people from work. Um, shout out to my hip-hop peeps, Glenn and Erica. And we were talking about Primo, and I sort of got this, got the idea from um, Philip Flavor on IG. He posted last night about Primo because Primo just did that new beat with uh, the Griselda crew. Yeah. So he said, and I agree with this a thousand percent, DJ Premier makes all the rappers that he's worked with rap better. Like he makes it that much better when he puts that, his sort of flavor on what they're doing. And I, I have to agree. Well, I've had the words, as I've been thinking about the album, and thinking about talking about thinking about this conversation, I've had the words of uh, Zilla Raka like bounce around my head, where he mm-hmm. sort of described how like primo beats are like made for rapping, like 
you hear them and it yeah. just makes you want to rap, makes yeah. you want to rhyme, mm-hmm. which I think is part of the reason why it makes rappers better. It's yeah. just custom built. Yes. Almost. Yes. Especially this album. I mean, uh, we can get into this now, I guess. Like, this album was, like, literally custom built for J. Root. Like, right, right. They were not, uh, there was no beat tape. These were not pre-made tracks. Like, this album was made with J. Root and Pr- Primo sitting down in the same room just listening to records for hours, handpicking samples and sounds, and Premiere hooking up the beat just based on what J. Root was feeling. Yeah, and this is his first full-length production outside of Gangsta. Right. And it's, I mean, it's damn near perfect. It dropped the same year that Hard to Earn did. Yeah. And going back to what we are saying like before about Illmatic and Ready to Die, like Primo had tracks on both those records. Mm-hmm. Then Gangsta releases Hard to, Hard to Earn that year, and then he does J. Rue's album all in one year. Wow. There is no, there's no one above him for me in terms of production. There, there just isn't. I mean, I, I, you know, I guess you can make the argument for other folks in the game, but like for me, he's, he's the goat. Well, again, I was thinking about what Zilla was saying about, because uh, we asked him this question. Yeah. Um, now, if I remember correctly, his answer was RZA. Which I can see, and I actually like in discussing this with other people, like I, I actually brought his name up, but I still think Premier's, Premier's it. The thing that I think uh, separates them in my mind is. RZA never worked outside his crew. That's exactly my argument for why Primo's better. Primo's worked with everybody. Right, right. RZA was so specific with his right. posse. Not taken away from anything that he's done. I mean, he's made some amazing fucking beats. He's done some great work. Um, but who's he worked with really outside of the Wu-Tang Clan? I, I mean, he's done scores for movies, but like... Yeah, I mean, I can't think of anybody. I mean, he's worked with like affiliates, like people sure. outside of the clan... But are still, but they're still part of that like posse. underneath the Wu Tang yeah. umbrella, you know? Yeah, right. Whereas, where premieres just work with everybody, right? I mean, fucking Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Some people maybe he shouldn't have worked with, but Christina Aguilera, like, <laughs> like, come on, right? But yeah, I think I, I don't know if if you heard it, but so the new joint with Griselda is um it's called headlines and i I, i'm not totally versed in them like i've listened to benny the butcher you know i'm not really into west side gun um out of all of them i probably listen to conway the most this is out of everything that i've heard from them this is by far the best thing they've ever done what what is it that's different what makes it better premiere just the beat honestly yeah and if you so so like their flow matches the beat so I think that they're really, like, in their other works, they've been pretty, like, I don't know, like, the beats that they've done before have been pretty slow-tempoed, and so their flow matches that. But, like, I just feel like those punches in this premier- yeah. in this beat that he's done, they just, they sync so perfectly, and they and their flow's better. Well, that's, like, signature premiere, right? Like, uh, when I think of the Griselda guys, like, it's all, a lot of the production is, like, sparse. Sure. And, and like, yeah. really stripped down. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there isn't, there aren't even like noticeable drum sounds in them. Yeah, bass lines. Yeah, right. When I think of premiere tracks, I think of like snapping, oh. snare. Yeah. The beat is kicking hard, and that seems quite different. I, mean, I haven't heard the song, but it sounds like it could be quite different than it's, what it's Stone really is. fucking good. It's really good. It's worth a listen. But yeah, anyways, I mean, my point is like that. He just he he makes the people that he works with that much greater. 
And I don't know, it's interesting to think about because I don't know... So Giroux is like, you know, his first two albums are really primo heavy. And so I just, I'm curious to know what he would have, how he would have fared if he didn't have Primo. I don't think he would have been that good, in my opinion. I think Primo made him that much better. Um, and I, I think he would have been good without Primo, but not as good. Well, if I could quote the great Proswell <laughs> of the Refugee Crew. Oh, yeah. Who at one point said, N-words, jealous, because the truth I said in zealots. Well, let me tell it. Without Premiere, you couldn't sell it. That's it. Gotta agree with Pross, man. Well, history has like revealed that to be true. I mean, the reality is that you stopped hearing about J. Rue when Primo stopped making exactly. beats for him. Exactly. So, not taking away from his skills as an MC, I don't think he's that bad. I think he's got some good verses, but I don't know that he would be who he is or be regarded as such if he never met Primo and had been blessed with them beats. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about his like his flow though, because I do think one of the reasons that Sunrises in the East is so great is his flow. It's in '94. I've tried to think of another rapper at that time who had who sounded like him. No one did. Um, I don't think I don't think anyone did either. He had this like, I mean, I love and come clean. How he said, "I got a freaky, 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 freaky." It was like, yeah, he interrupted himself a lot yeah. and like held out sounds yeah and yeah it was like stutter steps sometimes almost like kind of off beat right yeah he's very unique in that way but yeah he there was no one like Jeru. but that i mean that obviously changed because right sure a few years later and i think there's a bunch of dudes like Jeru. right right but at the time like yeah he was like the only one doing that sort of thing and had that sort of flow so i mean i think that might be part of the story too is that like at the time his flow was very unique he's he's flown over he's rhyming over premiere beats Mm -hmm. but then a couple years later like it's not it's not a novelty anymore it's also from my perspective gangstar foundation right outside of sunrises in the east i didn't really make that much noise no no like i go back and listen to group home uh living proof and no there's some album, yeah. fantastic, Absolutely. like pristine primo beats on that album. Those dudes can't rhyme. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like he, there's a lot of people that I think would be really mediocre if they didn't have those primo beats. Yeah, he makes them sound good. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that that's a testament to his skills. Not everybody can do that. How do you feel about Guru? As a rapper. Ah, you know what's funny? I just literally, so I just said I was talking about people about this at my work happy hour. That came up. So I said, I was just like, you know, I love Guru. I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is. And I feel like this was the same thing that people that I was talking to about said. Don't know what it is, but there was something about his voice. But he wasn't the best MC. Like, if you want to talk about technical skills. Yeah. I mean, Guru wasn't the best, like, let's be honest, but, like, he had this unique... I think what drew me into him is that it's it's like he was talking to you. He had the voice. Yes. He had the voice. Right. He didn't always have a flow. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, like, it's literally like when I... I feel like when he was spitting a verse and you're listening, it's like he's talking to you. 
Yeah. And I appreciated that so much. And I love his voice. I think that really matters. when To me, it really matters when I'm listening to somebody. Yeah. It draws me in. I, I, I will admit, I don't, this might not be a novel, like, thought or comparison. This might not be unique. Like, I'm sure that other people out there have, like, thought about this. But when I think about a guru's, like, monotone, mm-hmm. sort of monotone flow yeah, and yeah, his yeah. voice, it really feels to me that he is in many ways, like, he's like the godfather to rock Marcy. Like, yeah, he he is the, when I think of guru and gangstar, it's like the... Uh, the originators of boom bap, yes, of like that that I agree. gritty like New York City yes. boom bap sound. Yeah, I agree. But that's I mean, and that's what I like. It makes him so unique, and I think that's why people can overlook the technical aspect of, of his flow. Yeah, it, I I love Guru. I love Gangstar. Yeah, I, I just some of it hasn't aged well. I don't think. Right. Some of it sounds old from a, from a lyrical. Sure. Perspective. Yeah. Those oh, beats, you, though. Yeah, you still listen to Take It Personal today, and it still bumps. It's oh, still... Yeah. I just... Yeah. I I could listen to Primo Beats all day, any day, and just the beats. Like, I just think he's so... I, I don't know. He just he just has has whatever it takes to, like, be the fucking goat in hip-hop. Um, but he he's so good. You know one thing that he does a little too much that bothers me a little bit. So you can always uh, you can always hear a primo beat. Like, oh you yeah. Can always tell. You can recognize it's it. It's got yeah. a very distinct sound. But one of the reasons is there are times when he like is he's cutting in people's names too much. Yeah. It's too it's too like overt. It's too obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Like Duick is a classic song. Mm-hmm. Love that song. Yeah. But that's a perfect example. He's like cutting in everybody's name before they drop their verse yeah and i don't know that we always need that (laughs) oh primo yeah i think i think some of the stuff a lot of stuff he does is pretty recognizable like you're like okay dj premier did this i think it's usually the drums like the drums are always snapping the same way every track yes so what's what's one of your i guess top picks on the sun rises in the east beat wise Probably uh, the original. Mm-hmm. The, the original and um, Come Clean is just so yeah classic. Yeah. It's so and it's so unique sounding. Yeah. It's hard to pick though. I also love um, Ain't the Devil Happy is great. Those strings. Static. Yeah. The, la- the last the last track. Yes. Is great, but if I have to choose one, it's probably the original. Because 
dirty rotten sound. I love I love the piano. It feels like the piano is like falling apart. Like yes. like the beat is hitting the piano so hard it feels like it's falling apart. It's so good, yeah. That's how I feel about Ain't the Devil Happy. Now I'm be fooling around, I tell the truth. Nothing's secret, secret. Devil search for the secrets to immortality. I alter my physical chemistry. Bop through the valley of the shadow of death. I exist even when no things are left. Vibrations transcend space and time. Pure at heart because I deal with the mind. That's why I compose these verses. Lord of all worlds, my thoughts are now universes. Written on these pages is the ageless wisdom of the sages. Ignorance is contagious. So I hope you keep your focus. There's no hocus pocus. In the end, it's just us. Devil got brother killing brother. It's insane. Going out like Abel and Cain. Wising up and use your brain. There'll be no limit to the things that you can gain. In positivity, balance it with negativity. Until then, ain't the devil happy. When those strings come in, I'm like, yes, give me all of this. It's mm-hmm. so fucking good. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love the story behind the original. Because to hear Primo tell it, he was like, Spent a lot of time with RZA and Jizza before Wu Tang, before mm-hmm. Thirty Six Chambers, yeah, dropped. And I mean, I don't know how aware of this RZA was, but like Primo talks about like having this competition with him, yes, to yes. drop this to to make this like piano driven yeah. beat. And um, he really thought he had him. He really thought he had him with the original until he heard Cream, and then yes. realized that he couldn't top. But I love that story because I love the like uh, I love imagining these guys like young starting out still like close to the street and having all this like creative freedom while also having this comp like so this in- this competition going amongst themselves which is really interesting i didn't realize that how much overlap there was between like primo and gangstar and the gangstar foundation and wu-tang like j rue actually j rue actually grew up with true master. master yeah i didn't realize that in fact i like stumbled on this uh i guess it must be the this, the like label sampler that Come Clean was originally released on mm-hmm. through Guru's like Ill Kid Records, I think was mm. is what it was called. It's a whole sampler on there, and True Master has, actually has a song on there. Really? Which I didn't know. Didn't so does Bahamadia, which I didn't I didn't know that either. Shout Full out, to, shout out to Bahamadia. So yours your track would be Ain't the Devil Happy. Oh, absolutely, hands down. Yeah. You know, I really like. It's funny because I really like the horns, and the bitches. But I hate that song. I actually, um, I don't like that track. You don't? I don't like the horn. It feels corny to me. That's the one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't like it. It's the one song on um, Sunrises in the East that I Game don't down. really. Well, I don't really like listening to it, to be honest with you. But that's for other reasons. But I do you like the horns? Do you want Where do my you, horns at? Do you want to talk about that's the other reasons? I mean, I, for me, it's pretty, pretty obvious. Like. I think the song's trash. I think you're trash for for writing a song like that. You know, he, in one breath, he talks about, you know, in D-Original, he denounces the stereotypes that have been projected onto black men. Um, And then he talks about black plight and jungle music. And then you're calling, let's be real, he doesn't say 
the race of the women he's referring to and the bitches, but let's be real. And then you're going to talk shit about black women. And he categorizes, puts them in categories that fits his narrative. And I just don't, I think that's trash. And I think it's, he's a hypocrite for it. And I've heard his explanation and him saying like, oh, you know, I was talking about women. Like, uh, it's not about misogyny. Like, I was talking about, you know, like, bitches, like gold diggers, like whatever. But no, you're still talking about women. You are judging them because you don't agree with the decisions that they're making without taking into account any of the societal factors or structural con constraints that might have, you know, altered their decisions or influenced their behavior. But anyways, that's that's a whole nother story. But I don't know, I just think it's hypocritical. Like for to have all those other songs on there and then to just kind of like you you are sort of determining a woman's worth because you don't agree with what they're doing? Trash. Not every woman. Just specific. One specific. That's what I'm saying, though. Just playing the devil's advocate But here. don't say... No, but don't tell me that you're not talking about women because you are talking about women. You're talking about... You place them in this category. Yeah, a specific, a specific category. that he, he gets to, like, determine the parameters of. Correct. And... And determines who who fits those parameters. And exactly. Yeah. Which, what right do you have to do that? And so, you know, the only explanation that I have accepted, I've heard him talk about this multiple times because he got flack for it. The only explanation I accept is when he did an interview and he said, I was 21, I knew what I was doing, I just didn't care. I used that word on purpose because I was trying to make a point and that's what I wanted to say. And since then I have evolved Back then, I was dealing with a lot of arrogance, and I'm a different person now. I accept that. Yeah. You know, you're 21. I mean, I ain't the same person I was when I was 21. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. So, like, yeah. I, I understand that. Um, so, I accept that that explanation. It's funny, though, when he said that, talked about arrogance, when I, listen, you know, when I listen to a song, it seems, it feels to me like someone who wrote it after they were rejected and they're bitter about it. Ooh, interesting. I think it's a little hypocritical. You have all that other stuff on your album. You're trying to sort of provide some education and uplift um, that community and address, like, our plight, so on and so forth. And then you're talking, you're, like, sort of, like, trashing black women, and I don't appreciate that. So Yeah, it kind of feels like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It kind of feels like the women get left out. Right, which he's not the first to do. But, like, I don't know. And it's it's funny because... You know, like, I mean, hip-hop has been notorious for this throughout throughout its existence. Just, like, misogyny and calling women out of their names and stuff like that. And I, I, I'm not going to front. Like, there's stuff that I listen to that I'm just, like, I'll rock with it. And I'm just like, oh, it is what it is. But this feels a little bit different to me because I think because he really stresses and denounces... He really stresses the fact that people stereotype black folks and black men in particular and denounces those stereotypes, but then in the same breath, he shits on black women. And so I feel like you can't do both. <laughs> like, you know, you can't, I don't know. And so like, for an example, like if we're talking about doggy style, I can't tell you how many times the word bitch and hoe is used in, throughout that album. Right. But... Snoop also wasn't talking about black empowerment. And, I mean, the album was what it was, and you knew what you were getting. I don't know if that makes any sense. It, but like, it does, and I, I and I hear... I don't disagree with you. 
the way that it, uh, the way that I have chosen to make sense of it is uh, really has to do with the fact that taking into taking into consideration not just the sunrises in the east, but Wrath of the Math, like his next album, where he seems to feel like it's his responsibility to just call out everyone who is who's fake, right? In his eyes, he's the prophet, right? And and that really like happens a lot on Wrath of the Math, and in, in, in some instances, like mm-hmm. calling out specific names. Mm-hmm. One day. <laughs> right <laughs> right so i can i could see how he might have felt like this was him just doing more of that sure sure but um i don't i just don't understand like why does everybody think they need to make a song like this why does everybody think why does every rapper seem to think they need to make a song about gold digging women i don't get it i don't know again like you're, you're judging these women, and let's be real, again, we're talking about black women. You're judging these women without, and their behavior without questioning why they're behaving in such a way. Without questioning sort of the, again, the social constraints that, like, influence their behavior. And I just don't understand that. But then you, but then you get pissed off when people stereotype black men and think that they're all drug dealers or thieves or just pieces of shit and like but you're also devalue but you're devaluing people within your own community and i don't understand that the other this feels like a touchy subject to me but the other problem that i kind of have and i'll trust you to like put me in my place if i'm wrong but i I watched a clip of him on video music box yeah in 95 with crazy sam it's a crazy video i mean just given history and context just for the fact that he's standing on the street with Lauren Hill and Method Man. Yes. And And they're having that debate. Yes. Yes. And like Irv Gotti's there. Yes. And it's a bunch of dudes, bunch of people from yes. New York. But they're talking about uh, like black consciousness. Right. And what to do with white people. And like knowing your knowing the enemy. Right. Quote unquote. And his yeah. like philosophy that he like expressed there was to judge first and ask ask questions later. Like assume that all white people are out to get you. Right. And then maybe you'll be wrong. And then right. maybe they'll, they'll prove you wrong. Right. Which I don't... Uh, the reason I feel like I need to be cautious because like, I get... I, as much as I can, I understand that, like, why someone would have that perspective. Like, yeah. white folks done fucked up quite a lot. It keep, ha- keeps happening. <laughs> a little bit. But it feels similar to what we're talking about. That, like, uh, you're just going to assume right. that people are a certain way when you don't want other people to treat you that way. Like, right. And I hear that. Sam, crazy, crazy Sam sort of called him out on that. Like, to right. take that approach would be to treat white folks the same way that they seem to treat you, you know? Right, because Sam was sort of like, how are you going to call them out? Yeah, we'll call them out and then treat them this way when you don't want to be treated the same way. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. But yeah. I'm sort of with Lauren in that, okay, yeah, have your guard up, be cautious, but, like, let's talk about what we're going to do to uplift the community. Right. Like, don't just focus on placing blame on white people. Right. Okay, they they fucked up, but, like, let's let's promote some uplift. Let's, what are we going to do about this? So you're angry, you're pissed off, you know, they created this sort of environment, this this world where we live in, where we're second-class citizens. Okay, what are we going to do about it? 
Like, and that was her point. She kept getting interrupted, but like that was her point. Yeah, he, that speak, pissed me off. Speaking too. of arrogance, he was quite arrogant. He would not time. let her fucking talk. And Sam any... was just like, "Yo, chill." <laughs> he wouldn't let anybody. Talk. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't let Sam talk either. And right. Sam was just like, "Yo, you gotta chill." Like, yeah, you're saying your piece, let let us our ours, but like, so I agree. I agree with her, but like, yeah, he's very. I understand where you're going with this because it it it, it is sort of the same with the bitches. Like, you're just sort of you had this experience, which I'm assuming is is why you wrote this song. And so now all these women are bitches because you think that they're after your money or whatever the fuck. And now they're all bitches. Again, you're, you place them in this category to fit your narrative. Which and, is, it's like damning though, right? Like right. this woman is a bitch. So fuck her. Right. And let's move on instead of like, I think what Lauren might suggest yeah. at least 1995, Lauren Hill might suggest is that like, well, let's figure out what's going on with this person. And like exactly try and fix the problem. Yeah, we both come from the social work world, so asking not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. Right. And that's my point with like shitting on black women and this particular behavior. And you don't have to agree with what everyone does. You don't have to agree with if a woman you think is after your money is treating you like shit and and that's that's her intention you don't have to agree with what she's doing but maybe ask why she's doing that maybe ask why she's behaving in such a way yeah i so uh, like in my personal life do uh, some work with returning citizens and um the the like ongoing question is not like what did you do but like how did you get here right exactly and how can we help you get out of it exactly and that's my thing, like, especially, like, and I think that's what's so damaging when it comes from a black man. You are in this community with us. You know, you're in this community with black women and you are, instead of providing support and uplift, you're fucking shitting on us. Like, you know, like, black women have been stereotyped since the beginning of time. We're hypersexualized. Um, we're fit into all these different sort of like categories and, and, and are, are stereotyped and deemed to have per- certain personalities. And that might have started with white society, but I tell you what, the black community has done a really good job at keeping that shit going internally. Like, and it, it's, it pisses me off. And this is a perfect example of that. This fucking song. It's a real shame too, because I like I don't like the song for a number of reasons. You don't like them horns. I don't like the horns. <laughs> I don't like the beat. I don't like the message. It doesn't fit with the rest of the album. This album is a great album, and for a number of reasons, one of them is the sequencing, which is something that I'm not sure. Like uh, I don't know that a lot of people pay attention to, but I do. I'm a kind of a nerd about it, and this album is perfectly sequenced. Mm-hmm. He starts the album with the original. Right. Telling you where he's from. Yes. Brooklyn took it. Yes. More about where he's from. Mental stamina. Mm-hmm. I can flow. Yeah. I can rhyme. I can yeah. write. And then he moves into the, a, a series of songs about black consciousness. Yes. And the bitches has no place in that sequence. It doesn't. It doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's kind of like, what's going on with you? like if you listen to the rest of the album and then you hear this you're just like okay well what the fuck's up yeah it's it feels really out of place it is out of place like that's what i'm saying and i think that that's what i that's what i was trying to say with like other albums like and i compared it to doggy style like 
where women are called out of their name repeatedly, but it just feels different. It feels different. You knew what you were getting with Doggy Style, and it was it was um, consistent. And this isn't. Which is why I've just chosen to overlook it. Right. For, I think it's easy to overlook it. For when years and years. You know what you're getting. Like, this is what it was. Like, Snoop didn't shy away from that. Yeah. So, I, I definitely have memories of, like, fast-forwarding through this song. I don't like That's it. how much I disliked yeah. it. And when I had the cassette, I would fast-forward through it. I, it's hard for me to listen to. Like, I just, I'm just like, no, I'm not feeling this. And it makes me mad, depending on the, really mad, depending on the day. And I'm just kind of like, eh, I could do without it. That's, that's the one thing that I could do without with this album. Uh, the rest of it, go, the rest of it though, was like, it's excellent. And I think the emphasis on black consciousness is another thing that separates it from the other albums of its time. Mm-hmm. In many ways, like, reminds me, it's like a, a younger version early 90s version of KRS-One. Mm. Yeah, I think the consciousness definitely was what made him, what is what is another thing that made him really unique at the time, um, like you just said. And I mean, honest the bitches, like, I really like the message that he was sort of sending to the world. Like, he had a lot of good shit to say. So, um, I mean, the one thing that the bitches gave us was this mini conflict, this mini beef <laughs> between J. Rue and I guess it wasn't really the Fugees, it was just Praz. Well, yeah, but they all they all dug in. I gotta say, both both parties came up with some stellar diss tracks. Because Zealots is amazing and so is Black Cowboy. Yeah. Oh, all right. You don't like Black Cowboy? I didn't really love Wrath of the Math in general. Really? Yeah, it's all right. Oh, it's I really okay. like that album. It's okay. Okay, well. I don't hate it. I thought that Black Cowboy was a good diss track. Um, Except the way he chose, the way J. Rue chose to go after Proswell was to diss the Fugees by saying that Lauren is their best MC. By, by saying that a female is their best MC. That was annoying. That was annoying. Were your best... What did you say? Your best... Your best um, man as a woman. I got it here. He or said... something... I heard, I heard some MCs want to bring it, but a female is one of their strongest men. And when I step to you, don't seek refuge. So make what does it, that say about women? Make exactly. it happen. Fuck the rapping. Again. There's a lot of misogyny going on with him. And I... Like... He tries to say that he's not... I bullshit um but yeah that that line bothered me overall though i think that the back and forth between both of them was good you know they're they're like uh the timing of it confuses me though so sunrises in the east was released in 94 yeah this crazy sam interviews and on video music box 95 yeah the score is released in 97 96 96 96 okay for some reason, I was thinking 90. We did a whole episode, and I still... 96, because Wrath of the Math came out at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that makes some sense, I guess. It took the Fugees two years to respond to this? To this. Well, no. Yeah. I mean, well. I, I guess. guess I guess I'm also not considering, you know, this was not the age of the internet, necessarily. Like. Right. Uh, so, like... It took some time to get in the studio and lay down yeah. a track and release it. You couldn't just do a one-off and... Well, then the Fujis were too busy on 
blown into reality. And so, you know. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, yeah, the timing is kind of, like, off. But again, I think it's just, like... They didn't run in the same circles. Um, this wasn't the internet, so they didn't see them. So they weren't like beefing on like Twitter or whatever. Right. But I, but I do I do love I do love it. I, I do love this. Oh show. yeah. I love. I mean, I know I was talking earlier about how he Jay Ru seemed to feel like it was his responsibility to call people call people out. But I love that he did that. I mean, that's one of the things I love about rap music is like mm-hmm. is is you have a platform, you have a mic, you think somebody's doing something they shouldn't, you call them out. Yeah. And that leads to this battle, and I love that. It's probably the problem is when the media gets involved and makes some bullshit that it's not. Yeah, I mean, I can't lie. I really dig one day. Like, I mean, and it was true. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, Diddy, but it was. And so, and so from there, I mean, it was his man's. So, but Biggie took issue, and thus kicking the door. Which is another great story. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine being? <laughs> I mean, the story is that Primo's in the in the studio, laying down that track with Biggie. He's behind the boards. Yeah. Big's at the mic. He's never heard the lyrics before, and Big says that he says what he says about. I'm surprised you're running with him. What is what does he say? Some about I'm surprised you run with them. They've got come in them or something. Yeah, yeah. Like a clear shot. At Primo, who's on the other side of the glass. Biggie didn't give a fuck. It's crazy. I mean, Primo, I've heard Primo talk about it. He was just like, yeah, you know, me and Biggie had our thing. Like, it was whatever. I think it's hilarious that after all this shit, after one day, all that beef, Primo was doing that, a promo for Hot 97 when Angie Martinez had her show and he did... And crack commandments, and he was doing it for Jeru. Yeah. Puffy heard it. He was like, "Yo, what the fuck is this?" Told Primo to call him or whatever the fuck live on the radio. I was like, "I need that beat." He's like, "Biggie, Biggie just got like a couple more tracks on the album. I need that beat." And Primo asked Jeru, and Drew was just like, "Yeah, fuck, it's fine. That's hip hop." After all that, Drew was just like, "Yep, yeah, sure, let him have it." Jeru was always, I mean, he's always claimed that like he never really had beef with Big. But his issue was with Puff. Right, that's what he said. He was like, Big was my man's. But he was like, and I understand that he was loyal to Puff. That was his friend. And he was like, I get it. And he was like, but yeah, that we didn't have, he was like, we were fine. Right. Yeah. But, which I'm going to say, I can't imagine like Jeru rapping on and crack commandments beat like i've heard some people speculate that that is was like the breaking point between what? between jeru and, and primo really breaking that, point meaning like he that, was that that like that was what severed their relationship like his displeasure his disapproval of 10 crack commandments being given to big he i've i've saw that he said it was fine maybe it wasn't really though well, that that's Regardless, like it's still unclear. I don't. It's unclear to me. Like I don't really understand what happened. Why did they stop working together? I have no idea. I'm just gonna say that beat went the right person, though. <laughs> no offense, but like, come on, come on. Even though Chuck D sued them later, but Chuck D sued them. Yes, he was not. 
So that's him in the beginning saying hmm. one, two. So he was not for that shit. He did not want his voice on that shit. He was like, nah, sued them. Because of the message? He, yeah. Trick ain't about that shit. I mean, we're talking about cooking crack. So right. like, yeah, he was like, nah, he sued them. Hmm. And it was like, it strained the relationship. And so I, Primo tells it that, you know. He was like, no, Chuck ain't going to be down with this. And Biggie was like, don't worry about it. Do it anyway. He was like, I'll deal with Chuck. And then Biggie died. And then, like, Primo and Chuck were kind of like, eh, after that. And then it was at, I forget who's somebody, somebody's funeral. And they uh, saw each other. And Chuck was like, let me holla at you for a minute. And they, like, they made amends or whatever. But, like, yeah, Chuck sued them. Hmm. He was not, he was not with it. Which I, I, t- it make, I didn't know that, but it makes sense now. I'm just like, yeah, he, I can't see him co-signing on this. Kind of. I feel a bit conflicted about it. I, have, I always have a little bit of a problem when, like, when rappers get all up in arms about other people sampling their work. Uh, in the, in the, for the simple fact that like, it's part of the culture. Like, sampling has always happened from the beginning. Like, why, why would you want to stop somebody else from like, contributing to the art? Right. In that way. But I can also understand like why you wouldn't necessarily want your work on something that like it doesn't support your values or like goes against your message. And I think that's the only reason he said anything or and did took action because of what the content. Right. Like it's literally about being in the drug game. Mm-hmm. And it's just step by step manual. <laughs> but yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think people are too sensitive. I'm just kind of like, this is what, like, almost like what Jeru said, whether he meant it or not, this is hip-hop. Like, what, you know? Yeah. You're going to sue me? Come That's on. one of the things I love about, uh, I love the sampling on um, Sunrises in the East. Mm. And Well, one of the things I love about Primo's work in general is how, and this is going to contradict maybe what I said earlier, but maybe not. I love how he uses other artists, other like his contemporaries. He uses other rappers mm-hmm. from his time, yeah, and samples their work in the stuff that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I love the Onyx sample on "Come Clean." Um, I love the I love the RZA the Wu Tang sample on uh, "Ain't the Devil Happy." Yeah, I love that shit. Yeah, Onyx didn't like that on "Come Clean" either. No problems. Yeah. I mean, I kind of get, like, if it's your work and you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, and you don't ask, like, I can understand that. We can also understand, like, on a on a project where you are calling people out. Right. Right. Then it might, and you're somebody whose work gets sampled, then you might, like, start looking for messages that might not be there. Right. Sure, yeah. Right? Like, J. Rue talks about uh, the title, Sun Rises in the East. Mm-hmm. I mean... 94, this is a year when, like, New York is trying to take hip-hop back. Yeah. It's trying to reclaim the crown from, from West Coast, from NWA and yeah. and uh, and the West Coast. And you could easily interpret this title of this album to be a shot at the West Coast. Totally. The sun rises in the east. When J. Rue's like, I'm from East New York. Like, I'm just repping where I'm from. Yeah. There's nothing to do with this East versus West thing. Yeah. But how do you know? I mean, how could you po- <laughs> How could you know? So I can see how Onyx like might hear that and, and be like, 
wait, is he calling us out? Yeah. As like fake gangsters? Or is he just using our sample? Mm-hmm. Is he just using our shit? Yeah. And he and again he was arrogant, so he's kinda like, I don't give a fuck. Right. So I don't know. I think it's all part of hip hop. Yeah, I love it. Oh, oh fuck yeah, it makes for great stories. <laughs> I mean I'm sure it wasn't it sure it wasn't great for the people that were actually involved, but you know. It's cool to hear about it. So what's up with... So Giroud lives in, like, Germany now. Yeah. I think he lives in Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just... It's interesting. Like, I wish there was sort of, like, a study on, like, why, you know, like, classic hip-hop or, you know, like, the golden age is so celebrated in Europe. If you look at all these older MCs... Like, groups like, so like, for example, um, Smith & Wesson, like, they're getting ready to go on a European tour. Yeah. You know, like, Jerulo's over there, Onyx goes, like, does tours in Europe all the time, like, Chuck D and Public Enemy are over there now. Like, what's, like, it's it's so interesting. I don't, I don't have a real explanation. No, I, I don't either. I, know, like, I mean, yeah. one of the things that comes to mind, and this is not... Uh, meant to be disrespectful to those artists at all but i know that you know like sometimes things take a minute to catch on yes like the rest of the world is always a little bit behind yes um and i wonder if that's part of it mm-hmm. you know everybody not that not that like the rest of the world has not been listening to hip-hop this whole time right. but uh i do wonder if that's that's part of it the other thing is like hip-hop is just so i, I watched a um in prepping for this, watch this interview with J. Rue and uh, Ari. Who were we talking about before? Ari Melbourne. Melbourne. What is his name? That sure. the MSNBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that dude. Anchor. Know, yeah, yeah. And I loved. I actually loved how he like uh, he described how, or he like summarized or articulated how how intertwined hip hop and America are. Like mm-hmm. how how American hip hop music is. Right. And it's sort of unique in that way. Mm-hmm. It's uniquely American. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that's part of it too. That this is like a true American export. Yeah. That the rest of the world like gets to eat up. They don't get to experience. I, and I maybe this is part of my like personal experience with hip hop. Like yeah. A lot of the a lot of the shit that guys are talking about on records from the early nineties and even now, like I don't get to experience. I didn't live that life. Yeah. I'm I'm on the outside looking in. It's fascinating in that way. And so I wonder if that's part of it. Or the rest of the world, like, doesn't really know what it's like. So it's like a window. Right. Here's a window into the real right. American life. Right. I think I think a lot of it is that. The delay in getting the, the material. And then, like you said, like, having a window into what's happening here. Um, I also wonder if it's particularly like with the countries that are sort of struggling and fighting against the government, like, you know, hip hop has, yeah. you know, there's a lot of protest in hip hop, Sure, you know, they yeah. call, they call people out mainly the government and these social constructs that are fucking like weighing people down. Right. So I wonder if that's why, you know, those countries gravitate towards it. Yeah, I think that's valid. Yeah. Sure. And I love, I wish I had more time to invest in uh, the ways that other, like, artists 
and other countries are like taking hip hop and making it their own. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when I do get a taste of that, I love that shit. And it's been oh, a long absolutely. time since I've like taken the time to invest in it. But I remember like several years ago, the streets in the UK and, ah, uh, shit, I can't remember the name of the group. There was a, uh, several years ago, I stumbled upon some German group that was making like, yeah, their own version of mm-hmm. American hip hop. Yeah. That's so interesting to me. Love that. There's a lot of, um, I mean, there's some artists in the UK, um, that are, that are doing their thing. Um, I know what you mean. Like there's, there's artists over there that are sort of like carrying the torch. Yeah. And it is interesting because they're not, you know, you're so used to hearing the perspective from an American and then there's people that like don't live here, but they're still like immersed in the culture and trying to represent it. I don't know. Yeah, in a very unique way. Right, they, sure, they, yeah. They make it their own. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I don't know, like, I get, I, I don't know, like, a part of me is, like, I get annoyed because I'm just, like, why don't you tour here? Like, I, I want to see you. and But, like, <laughs> I don't think that that's always a general consensus, and I think that's why they go to Europe. Yeah. Um, which kind of makes me a little sad. You know, I wish it wasn't like that. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that's why Jerula's over there. But I also think, like, um, I don't mean this in a negative way. I think there's some selfishness to that. Like, mm-hmm. that, uh, if you can travel and go to other places and experience other cultures, like, you, why not? Right. I mean, you think you got to well, do that. Yeah, if you got the means. Uh, so that's kind of why I love what J-Roo's doing now. He's right. like, two-minute videos, like, exp- like, giving you information about mm-hmm. other countries. Yeah. And what's going on there and their culture and like yeah. where, like geography lessons. Yeah. It's basic shit that like a lot of people just don't know. They'll right. never get access to. Right. And I love that he's doing that. Like trying to bring them. He's like trying to take what he's learned from the world mm-hmm. and like bring other people into that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard him talk about how um, he stays like now he stays connected with his like fan base and just like people in general by using social media and you know he's from a time where social media like didn't exist yeah so um i think that's cool that he's embracing it in that way and saying like you know this is what it is now i gotta kind of gotta get on board mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i mean if i could live in fucking europe for whatever however long i wanted to like maybe i would um, so I, I mean, I understand that. I don't know. I just like, I see all these artists go over there and do these tours. And I'm just, uh, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, well, we want that here too. Like there are people that would pay to see you. Sure. Um, it makes me think though of like, um, you know, stuff I've read from Ta-Nehisi Coates mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. from, uh, James Baldwin who have spent time. James Baldwin. Yeah. They over, both did. Overseas yeah. and. I think this is this is like what I meant by the, like the selfishness part of it. Like uh, you go there, you experience it you, for maybe the first time. That like, oh shit! Like the the oppression that exists where I'm from, like doesn't really exist here, right? In the same way, yeah. and there's free there's freedom in that. There's liberating. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, to hear them tell it, you know, absolutely. And so it makes sense to me that you'd want to like stay in that for some time and like soak it in and really yeah. like really get to experience it I, yeah i think it can be you know speaking as a black person living here i think it could be very 
fucking depressing to be in the United States, particularly now, you know, living here. Like, and so again, if you have the means, like, why not? Mm-hmm. And I've heard James Baldwin talk about that and just say, like, I just fucking, I needed to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, but then also say, I needed to go back because I felt responsibility to my people. Right. Yeah. You know? And I sort of think that I often think of, of those two, like James Baldwin, Tanash Coach, and I think that Tanash Coach just literally followed in James Baldwin's footsteps or tried to. Um, Can't blame him. He said, I, I love James Baldwin, so I said, that's great. That's probably why I gravitated towards him. But um, yeah, I kind of want the hip hop folks to be like, well, my, pe- my hip hop heads need me here in America. I'm going to come home. Not that a lot of them live over there, but like... I think if they got that vibe, they would. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that it's... it's That vibe is strong enough, unfortunately. Right, that's the problem, right? It's, it's, it's like, not. You're going like, to go, go where you're wanted or appreciated. Yeah, and, right? and Europe is completely different in that regard, I think. And so, I, I get it. Like, you need to make money. You you This is your career. Like, this is your 9 to 5. And so, like, to keep that... To keep that longevity, like you're gonna go where you wanted, and so I get that. I don't know. I just I, I wish it was a different because like I just I see that stuff. Like I follow all these folks on like social media, and I'm just sort of like I get it, but I'm just like I want to see you too. Like I'm not flying to Europe to like go to your concert. I don't have the means, unfortunately. I don't know. Like it just it, it makes me a little makes me a little sad. Yeah, I heard that. But anyways. Yeah, I mean, Drew made it pretty clear that he's not coming home anytime soon. He's kind of like hanging on in Europe, which. Yeah, I mean, being being over there right now seems to be a part of like what he feels like his like mission is, you know, like. Right. Making making information about these remote places available to people back home. Yeah, and I mean, I I understand that. I heard Jay Rue talk about the sun rises in the east as at the time feeling like his one opportunity to like, it, this really got me thinking actually his like one opportunity to say all the things that he wanted to say. Cause he wasn't sure he didn't know you, you like, you never know if you're going to get a chance to do this again. So you gotta, yeah. you gotta put it all into this record. Mm-hmm. It made me wonder if that's the problem. That he said all he had to say. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like, you spend, like, years, like, his whole life, he talks about, like, listening to hip-hop when he was in elementary school. You spend years, like, thinking about what you want to say and how you want to say it, mm-hmm. and and then you make a record. You finally get the chance to make a record, and you make a record. Yeah. And then you're asked to make another one, like, two years later. Mm-hmm. So you have two, like, you spent 20 years dreaming up what you want to say on your first album and then you have two years to make another one how's it how's it ever going to be if you if you like unload everything you've got in that first record how's the the rest of your work gonna gonna match up you ain't got no juice left maybe maybe that's short-sighted though maybe that's like not really that's like something something somebody who's not an artist would say about the creative process it makes me th- it makes me wonder though like so did you not were you not inspired to write more and why uh, why not well he kept writing more it just felt like with each thing that he wrote like the quality dropped off do you think that's because he didn't have primo or 
Primo doesn't. Well, I don't know. I mean, the, he also no, talks I, about with that first record, like not. This is so. Maybe this just blows my idea out of the water. I mean, right. he says for that for the sunrises in the east, he didn't have like a book of rhymes that he like pulled lyrics out of. That he and Primo sat in a room, listened to records. Primo hooked up the beat, and then he would write to the beat. Right. That was that. That's Primo's process. So right. he had concepts like J. Ru had concepts, but not lyrics going into the project. Okay. So maybe that's part of it. Like you're working with a producer that doesn't like stir up the same creative juices in you and you can't write the same way that you might have with primo i don't know that's yeah i think my question is really like what happened like what happened i don't know and and i can't i can't name one producer they worked with after primo like who else did he work with i have no idea i stopped listening i right. i really don't know right i <laughs> it's funny this had i had already decided i want to talk about this record before I found a clip that I had recently posted on on uh, IG to promote our episode with Mr. Liff uh, or about Mr. Liff. Yeah. But that that clip is Liff and LP freestyling in front mm-hmm. of a record store mm-hmm. in Georgia, mm-hmm. and uh, in the full clip, LP's freestyle he makes reference to J. Rue like falling off like fast. Yikes! And that's again, I'm circling back to this. This is what I mean when I say that people are otherwise good, okay, mediocre, without premiere. How did you, did you like, um, you ever listen to the Jazzmatazz Somewhat. series? Somewhat. No, I, I can't really, like I'm not versed in it, no. Shit was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Primo, I mean that was Guru's thing. I know it was, and that's what I'm, so, I'm gonna say this, like... There are exceptions to that rule, and I think that speaks to your talent. So, would Nas be great without Primo? Yeah. Would Biggie have been out great without Primo? Yeah. Well, he was. I mean, yeah. Primo. I mean, Ready to Die had one Primo track on it. So that's. I mean, I mean, and well, and then later on, he they worked together. But whatever. Like my point is, if you, I think there are people that are that are really talented that didn't need premiere. Sure. I think there are people that were mediocre that really, really needed premiere. And he made them better. And I think without him, they were kind of like, eh. And I'm going to say, I think this is an example of that. Yeah, perhaps. I, you know, I'm not trying to, not trying to to be one of the bitches, like, shitting on Drew. But, like, I'm just saying, like, I, you know, like, you're asking why it fell off. This could be one of those cases. I don't know. I think the other people that Premier has, some of the other people that Premier has worked with were great in, their self, great in themselves already. So they didn't necessarily need him. I think they were that much better with him. Like, if you listen to the tracks with him, it's like, shit. New York State of Mind, one fucking take. Are you serious? Like, so, like, shit like that, like, it made people that much better. But they were, some people were already great. And were already destined to be great because they had talent. I'm not, again, not trying to trash shit on anybody. Well, I guess we'll never know. We won't, because it is what it is now. And do they, are, I mean, are they even tight anymore? Like, they, they cool? Like, don't seem like it. I don't see them interacting much. Well, in that J. interview with the uh, R.E. whatever his name is, <laughs> I feel bad, I can't remember his name, 
from MSNBC. Yeah. Uh, he asked uh, him to list his top five. Ari asked J. Rue to list his top five. What does he say? Top five what? MCs. And what does he say? J. Rue, J. Rue, J. Rue, J. Rue. <laughs> does he? He jokes. And, and initially he's joking and he says. This is the Dave Chappelle skit. Like, <laughs> Dylan, 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 and Dylan. <laughs> like, <laughs> is that what he does? It, initially he joke, he's joking and he says, J. Rue, J. Rue, J. Rue. But then, yeah. he, then he says, Cool G Rap, uh, Big Daddy Kane. Mm. Yes. Uh, Biggie. Yes. Um, and then he starts naming groups, and I'm like, have you never done this before? This is not how this works. MC, You baby. can't name groups. Uh, he also mentions EPMD and De La Soul. But he makes a point to say, like, Gangstar, Gangstar exists outside of that. Because if it was not for Gangstar, I would not be here, is what he said. Okay. If it wasn't for Gangstar, I, would not, I wouldn't exist. Yeah, true. Okay. So he knows that much. Yeah. I mean, he can acknowledge that much. Yeah. Okay. Jeru, Jeru, I knew that without even seeing that bit of it. Yeah, it's predictable. Yeah, I mean, come on. What else you got? That is it. That's it? I'm like, Jeru, I gave it all I got. I get, put all my juice in. <laughs> put all my juice into, into that first hour or whatever. I want, what I want so bad is to let people hear. So I'm planning to do this, okay? I want people to hear the the um sample from come clean okay like with the original mm-hmm. i just want people to to a b it okay because it's it blows my mind it's one of these moments in hip-hop that's like how the fuck did you turn four seconds and into a, an entire song see what i'm saying yeah this is what i'm saying and that's exactly what how? happened the original is it's four seconds the rest of the the rest of the original is just random ass yeah like like drum sounds but primo took those four seconds and made a classic beat Control the mic like Fidel Castro. Lock you 
scuba so deep that you can't scuba dive. My job's or again is unknown, like the jubas I've accumulated honeys all across the map. Cause I'd rather bust a nut than bust a cap in your back. In fact, my rap snaps your saffroniliac. I'm the Mac, so I don't need the to totem Mac. My attack is purely mental, and its nature's not hit. It's meant to wake you up out of your brain, wash, state, stagnate, nonsense. For if you're prison, you'll get your snot box bust. You'll press up on this. I flip, hoes dip. None of the real niggas skip. You don't know enough math to count the mics that I put. Keep the dirty rotten stamp. That's his verbal weapon. Spit, weapon, spit. One day, it was like when I first started working at the job I have now. We did this fucking like breakfast icebreaker or whatever. And the question was, if you could have one talent instantly, what would it be? And I said, sampling. Because I, I j it just blows my mind how you can take seconds of a track and turn it into a whole song. I think that's fucking insane. I think you really have to... I don't know. I'm just guessing. Yeah. I think you really have to spend a lot of time with the music. You do. You do. Yeah. If you listen to... So if you listen to, like, producers, like, Primo and, like, it, like anybody in the game and, like, them talk about their history with music, all, all of them are very versed in music. Yeah. Like, they grew up with the shit. They were listening to vinyl. They were stealing their parents' music. Like, I mean, they all were immersed in it. And so I... I do you think you have to know a lot about music, like you said, to to even start to do that sort of work? Yeah, and then I think you have to just spend a lot of time like sitting, listening mm -hmm. over and over mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think, like Primo and and all and a lot of other producers did with people. And I've heard him tell stories, but once you know Primo like was playing a certain track, you know, artist he would was working with would be like, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. Like that's it. Yeah. The, the the idea though of you sitting in a room with someone and picking out sounds and samples and them like hooking it up just for you feels so different to me than like getting a getting a beat tape in the mail. I mean, I know and I know that this happened too. Like uh, yeah. stories about Dilla like mailing out beat tapes. Yeah. And just creating and creating and creating. And then people just hand selecting, like saying, I want this, I'm claiming this, I get this. That feels so different though, than sitting in a room with someone and the two of you like collaborating on what sounds and samples you're gonna use. It makes it feel so much more organic, like so much more yes. original. Yes, and I think it's, I think, I think the latter sending digital beats in the mail or whatever or however you process them and send them to folks takes away from the process i think it's that much more of an intimate experience when you're sitting in a room with somebody and you're listening to the music together and you're like this is it this is it this is it and then you immediately get expired inspired to like write these rhymes or like maybe you already have rhymes and you're like i got it like i i just i think it makes it that much greater this the end the the end product that much greater because yeah, of its work it was an organic process this is imagining it like a, there's just a different energy like when you get a beat sent to you yeah and it's already made and you're like there's no way for you to know exactly you can't connect to the original energy from yeah because you weren't there you don't know yeah and that's what i mean i already said this but like new york city mind one take right so 
to hear Primo tell that they were sitting in this room, sitting in the studio, they were listening to beats, and Nas was like, that's it. So, Primo started playing the track, and was done, and Nas was like, I don't know how to start this. And Primo was just like, I'm gonna, let me count you in. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna count you in. And then, so... And it just pours out of him. And then, Nas is like, fuck it, comes in, does it. When he's done, Nas goes, was that okay? <laughs> <laughs> and Primo goes, are you fucking, like, I'm paraphrasing, but Primo was just like, New York's gonna, New York's gonna lose their fucking mind. Like, what? Yeah. One take. I cannot, that's what I'm saying about fucking being great. Sorry. And I had this argument earlier, so I'm still hyped that, that, um, and Jay-Z was better than Nas. Well, that one take thing, <laughs> uh, this is going to take us down a deep rabbit hole, but that one, the one take thing doesn't mean, is not everything. Like, it's not it is, everything, but it like, impressive. it's something. Like, the end product is impressive. Something. And to find out that it's one take is impressive. You're like, fuck, yeah. But like, Jay used to talk about never writing anything down. It's all off the dome. It's like, I don't know that any of them did. Like, did Nas write stuff down? Biggie didn't. But Nas wrote a fucking song about his book of rhymes. So, okay, I, well, I assume that there's a book of rhymes somewhere. Yeah. But Jay, Jay used to like take pride in the fact that it was it was all it was one take. It all came, or you know, like uh, spontaneously in the studio and there came a point in jay's work where i was like that is a detriment you need to stop and think about what you want to say and write it down and then edit it that's how big was though he didn't write anything though nothing no big i hear that big made two albums i mean it's hard to speculate it's hard to speculate when people when that happens because you're just you can't really say what would they have done if they they lived. I can't say what he would have done. I think that certain people have certain talents, and I think you you're blessed with what you're blessed with. Like I don't know, but to me, like writing it down, not writing it down doesn't make a difference to me. What matters is what I hear when you're finished, and so I don't care if you have a book of rhymes. I don't care if you write lyrics on your phone. If it sounds good and you're bringing the heat. Yeah, but sometimes you don't and you need to be willing to like do a second take. Like if you... Well, I understand that. If, if you're you, not bringing the heat. If you make Renegade, all right, and then you hear what Eminem lays down. Oh, yeah. And you okay. think, this has got to go on my record. Then you got to be willing to go back in the studio, go back in the booth... And do a second take. Because otherwise you are getting embarrassed on your own song. And I feel that. Like, again, people need to reevaluate their shit. And, and the people that are around them need to evaluate. And, like, if it's not good, it's not good. I'm just saying, like, I don't... The process in terms of how you get there doesn't matter to me if it's good. It's So the process is one thing. It's... I think maybe I, I was not clear. Okay. <laughs> I used to, as a child, I went to a church where the pastor used to say, mm -hmm. if you don't, if you disagree with me, it's because you didn't understand me. Um, Is it though? I don't want to come from that perspective because that's a little fucked up. Uh, yeah, a little bit. 
it's not just that Jay like uh, didn't write anything down. It's that it was his one take thing. Like go on the mic, do one take. Go in the booth, do one take, and that's it. That's all I need. Yeah. No, sometimes you need more. You really do need more. Like sometimes you make mistakes, and then you leave, and you come back and you fix them. And somebody in his camp should have been saying that. Yes. I mean, I'll, I don't always know that you know that when you're younger and you're in the game and you're just, like, doing your shit and you're like, this is fucking good. I don't even think that was young Jay, though. I mean, I'm talking I'm like, just saying, like... I mean, he, gets, he gets three or four albums in. Like, volume three. By the time we get to volume three, I'm like, please, just take some more time. I want to know what you think. Should he have stopped after the Black Album? Should that have been well, his Well, if you say you're going to stop, you stop. I'm, I'm asking you, though, sound-wise... Should he have stopped after the Black Album? Uh, I, which, I, that was supposed to be a, a, an entire Primo album, by the way. Which, <laughs> shit. But, like, yeah. It just didn't work out. But, like, that was supposed to be entirely produced by DJ Premier. It's hard for me to answer that question. If he stops after the Black Album, I don't get 444. That's a great record. That's a great album. Uh, the problem is, everything in between is shit. Everything in between the Black Album and 444 is garbage. It's it's made for radio airplay. He's trying to make money. That's all it is. Doesn't need it. And at this point, like, do you really need it? But I think you could make... I, I've made the argument for years now that even between Volume 3 yeah. and the Black Album is just an attempt to keep your... It's just an attempt to keep him on the radio. I'm going to be honest with you, like... I just am not, I've never been like, yo, Jason's my man. Like, I just, I just haven't been. Like, I just, he just ain't, like, there's shit that I like, and that's what it is. But, like, he, he ain't my top, he ain't my top three. Like, he just ain't. Like, I don't know. So, I don't know. I just, I, I do like the Black Album, though. I think that was, that would have been a good send-off. It's perfect, because you're saying... It's called the Black Album, Goodbye. and you're telling people it's your last album, and then it is. Indeed. Thank you. Right, and I mean, at that point, financially, do you really think you need another fucking album? I don't. He was already set, so I'm just saying. Like I, I don't know. No, I'm kind of with you. I really wish that Primo wouldn't the fucking beats though, because that would have been phenomenal. Maybe. Didn't happen. Well, I, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I mean, I I do really like the Black Album. I'm not gonna front. I really like. Yeah, it, it has its moments. Never got into. What What are the pre, What are the pre, Are there primo tracks on there? What are they? He was supposed to do it. I don't know if there are or not. I, he was supposed to do the entire album, so it was supposed to be a full length production, and it just didn't work out. Their schedules were like all over the place, and they, it just didn't sync up. Okay, that about does it for the next movement, kids. So, next month, we're hoping to have a special guest on the show, a Philly rapper. That's all I'm going to give you right now. Thanks for listening, folks. Stay tuned. It's been real. I'm me. I'm Rob. This is the next movement. Peace. Peace. Electromagnetic being
and I get charged. Rhymes, I run right through them like a big box of Trojan Large. MCs try to hang, but it's a Brooklyn thing. Poison slang, poison fang, poison pen. Let me begin trying to rhyme up in my cipher. It's gambling, freestyling. Me, G, I be buck wildin'. You can't even challenge a nigga in my position. Technician, renditions more freaky than Rick James. Fly like airplanes, do it all remain the same. My cuts like Freddy Krueger. Don't need a German Luger, but shoot more shit than Stern Ruger. Dirty rotten's coming through. Punks cling to their guns. Don't start none. It won't be none. Cause, uh, fuck around, it'll be tragic. Devastating, I got your heart pulsating. Kool Aid, Janine Aid, ejaculating. Rhymes like semen, MCs are scheming. Trying to bag me, baby, black, you must be beaming. Fiending, I don't know who gassed your head up. I'm straight up, for less niggas have got wet up. I'm on a mission, scrambling my enemy's transmission. And when he least expect it, run up in his HQ. High IQ, every verse is EQ'd. Sliver like a snake, still you can't elude. The number, but not Kaneza. It's the toucher, no gun or guard can protect ya. Neither the scripture, choke like a boa constrictor. This is my house and I'll evict ya. Big respect is automatic. Black.